We have an opportunity to say thank you to some very, very special people. This week, is uh, we're going to be celebrating Veterans Day. I don't think it's possible to say thank you too much to those who have served our country and those who are now serving. So uh, i just like to ask if you are one of those who have served or are serving right now, would you please just stand up so we can take a moment and say thank you for what you've done. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. We owe you a lot, and uh, thank you. This morning, we're going to talk about waiting. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because I think I know a lot about it. It's not my favorite thing to do. In fact, it's one of my least favorite things to do. But there are moments in life when waiting is inevitable. And I think it helps us to know what God has to say to us about that. <clears throat> this week was kind of a painful reminder of that. Uh, our uh, oldest daughter and her family were in Orlando uh, visiting son-in-laws on business there uh, for several days. So um, on Thursday evening, we drove up there uh, just to play with the grand three of our grandkids and uh, have fun, hang out with them for a couple of days. And it was a blast. So um, after dinner, we went back in the pool on Thursday night, and uh, we were out there just having a great time, and, you know, kids hang all over you, and you throw them, and, and chase them, and all that kind of fun stuff. It was, it was a blast, but somehow in the middle of all that, I forgot that I'm older than what, at the moment, I was thinking I was, uh, trying to do stuff I probably had no business doing. At one point, um, I, I, for, I don't even remember exactly why, but I pushed away from a wall, and when I did, one of the fingers on my left hand popped out of joint. And uh, my, my daughter said, well, how did you know it was out of joint? Well, because it was kind of sideways to the others. She said, yeah, probably so. So uh, being a hero, I played a Jack Bauer on myself, and I just grabbed that thing, and I popped it back into place. And... Uh, and I tried it, and I had full range of motion, so I figured I'm good. You know, I went back to playing with it. I didn't want to ruin the, ruin the moment. So uh, we're having a good time, and my little granddaughter, the music is playing. She wants to dance in the water, so she's got a hold of both of my hands while we're dancing in the pool. And uh, that went on for about an hour, and then it was bed, bedtime for them, so off they went. And when Joe and I were heading back to the room, I said, let's go to the hotel lobby and see if they've got a first aid station or something. Maybe, maybe they can help me out here because I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. So we went in there, and they said, we've got this thing called loss prevention. Just we'll call them and just hang on. Somebody will be here to help you out. So I waited 5, 10, 15 minutes. And the longer it went, the more I'm thinking, wow, I wish somebody would get here soon because this is hurting. Do you, when you're in pain, every minute seems like a long time. You know what I'm talking about? But what about when those minutes turn into hours, which fortunately it wasn't for me, and the hours turn into days and the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years? And it seems the pain becomes more intolerable as the time passes. I'm, I'm convinced that there are levels of intensity when it comes to the agony associated with waiting in our lives. 
And some of you this morning may at the, be at the point where you feel like another day of waiting is going to kill me. I can't wait any longer. You're going to find God's Word, I think, relevant to you and where you're at this morning. We're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 40, incredible passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at it through this lens this morning. God is not always easy to understand. Can I get an Amen. He's not, you can't always figure him out. Let's look at verses uh, 26 through 28. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? So we're talking about the God of the universe, right? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Aren't we talking about billions of stars here? Even just in our solar system, our galaxy, calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, that's management right there. Okay, so we're talking about this enormously powerful God who's able to take care of anything and everything in the universe. And then you get to verse 27, it feels initially like a complete disconnect from what we were just talking about. So, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? I mean, I thought we were talking about stars and solar systems, right? Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? It's kind of like, okay, he can handle all that out there, but when it comes to me and my life and my issues, Somehow, he's weak and incapable. And verse 28 attempts to resolve this for us. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, there's that capital, all capital letters, Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So he can handle you, and he's not going to grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. It's that last phrase we're going to land on for a few minutes. His understanding no one can fathom. Sure words, trust me, were never spoken. You try to figure out God and how all that works in your moment, and you drive yourself crazy because you can't get there. Isaiah says in another place, his ways are higher than our ways. His knowledge is higher than our knowledge. I guess that's what makes him God, right? that he's got more going on than what our mental capacity can all put together and figure out. You can't always understand God. Parents don't always understand children. Students don't always understand teachers. Humans don't always understand God. For the five years before Joan and I came to Coastline, we we went through a period of transition that just seemed like an eternity to us. We'd taken some steps of faith. We had acted in obedience, what we felt God was directing us to do. I mean, it felt like we were making every effort humanly possible to be where God wanted us to be. And there was just disappointment after disappointment. So try this, it failed. Try that, it failed. Try something else, it failed. Until we went through this endless list of things and to the point there was nothing left that we could think of to do 
and we're exhausted in the process of trying to align our lives with the will of God so that somehow it felt like his presence and his blessing was resting on us. That is not a fun spot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you can't always figure it out. I, you know, I kind of always thought there was sort of a one-to-one correlation. You know, if, if I do certain things, um, then certain things are going to happen in response to that. I do this, God does that, we're good. And I discovered that you can't make that one-to-one correlation. Sometimes I feel like I'm behaving very well and things are going poorly, and sometimes I feel like I'm doing terrible, and yet the blessing is there. How can you, how can you make sense of all of that? God is doing something that's be bigger than just me and my situations. At, I mean, I wish the whole, center, the whole universe centered around me, but it doesn't. I found myself after being on the platform and preaching for 30 years saying, well, you know, all those words sounded really good when they came out of my mouth. I had such fun saying it to everybody else, and now I find myself in a position to have to live it out, and it's not working very well for me. Maybe I didn't have it right at all. God is just difficult sometimes to get all figured out. Um, I remember a time when, I think I was 19, it was like between my uh, sophomore and junior years in college, and uh, I wanted a motorcycle in the worst way. And so I, I asked my dad, and he said no, he didn't think it was safe, or he didn't think I would be safe on one. I couldn't imagine why. Uh, so he said no, and I kept begging. He said no, and we went through this again and again and again. Finally, I wore him down. He, he let me buy a motorcycle. So um, I'm, I'm living the dream now. I guess I wanted to show it off, so I said, well, I want to go visit my roommate. I was living, my parents lived in upstate New York. He's in Philadelphia, so I want to make a weekend trip and just ride the bike down there and hang out with him. I want to show off is what I wanted to do. And my parents didn't think I was experienced enough yet on the, bike, on the motorcycle, which I wasn't, but I thought that I, I was certain that I was. So finally, I wore him down. They said okay to this trip about eight hours uh, on the road, and uh, to me, you know, it's like, that's no problem. Just get on your ride. You're there. So I set off on this journey. I had two experiences on that trip. They were eye-openers to me. Number One of them was, I, I don't know what happened. I was distracted or tired or something, but at about 70 miles an hour, I dropped off the side of the pavement and into the gravel. And I'll tell you what, it was everything I could do to keep that thing upright while I slowed it down enough to be able to get back on the road. And <clears throat> I'm going, um, maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. <clears throat> a little bit later in the trip, I went into a curve too fast. I'd never been on these roads. It was first time. Two-lane uh, road that I was on. I went into a right-hand turn too fast. And I knew that if I if, if I break too hard, I would slide, and so I leaned as, as much as I could to get around that curve, but halfway into it, I crossed the center line, and I felt like if I go anymore, I'm going to lay this thing down, and I'm going to slide, and just, right, of course, perfect timing. There's an oncoming car coming about 50, 60 miles an hour. I knew that I'd slide right in front of that car, and it would be over. Somehow, God helped us get past each other on that curve, and I stayed on wheels, but my heart was moving pretty fast, and I realized I, maybe my parents weren't so far off in thinking that I wasn't quite experienced enough to do this. Kids don't always understand parents, right? 
students don't always understand teachers. People don't always understand God. And he's just saying to us, hey, you don't think I know what's going on, but I'm here to tell you that I've got this. This is an amazing passage right here. And I, what I love about it is the contrast between the macro and the micro view of God. In theological terms, it's his transcendence versus his imminence. You know, it's God way out there, this powerful being who created everything and is able to keep it all under control versus right down in the nitty-gritty of my day on, on my turf, God's involvement in my life. And there are those moments when you feel like, yeah, I can worship God. He's great. He's awesome. He's out there. I believe in all of that, but I think he's really absent when it comes to what's going on in my life and my situation. And that's what these people are saying, at least to themselves, and God's calling them out on that. Uh, the word, the, the name Jacob and Israel are referring to the same way because remember Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so the reference is to the nation in both these cases. But I love the way that it's worded because it, it tends to make it so personal. There's a name in there. It's almost as like the finger of God is coming out of the vast universe and landing about three inches above my head and saying, why do you say my way is hidden from God? Why do you say my cause is disregarded by God? In other words, he doesn't know what's going on in my life right now, and if he does, he doesn't care. It's obvious, right? He's completely absent with what's happening with me. And when you get to that point, God is saying, I've got, I've got a word for you. Don't you get it? Don't you understand? I am here. I do see. I am in charge. No, I haven't built the whole universe around you, but I'm doing a work. I have a plan that I'm working out, and I'm not forgetting about you in the process. Something is coming your way, but you've got to trust me. You've got to hope in me. You've got to wait for that moment that I know is best for you in what's going on. So God is not always so easy to understand. Does that mean he doesn't care? Apparently not. Let's go on to the second point. Waiting can wear you down. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I hate waiting. Um, I'm glad that we're living here in Florida now after 16 years in the D.C. area where uh, the commute was brutal every single day. I just, I, I mean, I always hated waiting, but I hate it even more when it comes to traffic and that sort of thing. My radio dial was always on the station that gave the uh, traffic updates every 10 minutes. And, uh, boy, I mean, if I needed to, I would bail out. I, I consider myself a moderately aggressive driver. I'm, uh, somebody else might label me differently, but, I mean... I knew where I was going, and I knew when I wanted to get there, and I uh, didn't like people ruining my plans with parking their cars in front of me on the six-lane highway. So, uh, you know, I, but my, my philosophy always, if somebody's going to cut me off in traffic, I want them to be an aggressive driver. So I make it happen that way by the way I position my car. So it's like I, I know if, if they're going to get in front of me, that means they're aggressive. That's good. If they're aggressive, I want them in front of me, not behind me, pushing me. And if they're not aggressive, get thee behind me. 
I'm on a mission. I know where I'm going. But, you know, so whenever the traffic would slow down and I knew there's a problem ahead, it was going to mean waiting, I'd always, I would just bail out. I'd find the next exit. I'm off the highway, drive all these side streets, you know, and meander around. And it would always take me longer to get to my destination if I just stayed there and gone with the traffic. But at least there was motion. You know, there was movement. There wasn't, there wasn't progress, but there was movement. And that felt good to me for some reason. And uh, so I was that impatience that gets there. Waiting can wear you down. These verses, I think, it's just, they just spell out life for us. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. And it is so true. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are. It doesn't matter how tough you believe you are or you actually are. Eventually, you will wear down just from waiting. You're playing with the grandkids. Energizer bunnies, right? I mean, they go and they go and they go and they go, and you think they're never going to run down, but eventually they do. You play really hard, and they slow down for 20 seconds, and boom, they're asleep. And I'm going, that's just, that's me. Getting to that point where the waiting has worn me down, point of exhaustion. If I could think of one more thing to do, I might do it, but actually, I'm not sure I would because I don't want to set myself up for one more disappointment that I'm trying to do something, and I can't get where I need to go. Waiting. Lifeguards are trained that if they see somebody in trouble out there in the water and that person is flailing around and they're in a panic, you wait for them to use up some of that energy before you go and, and put yourself within, within arm's reach of them because in that state uh, of panic, they will grab hold of you and they will take you down with them. But if you let them burn off some of that energy and, and, and work themselves to a point of exhaustion, then you can grab hold of them. You can save their life and re, re, remain uh, alive yourself in the process. And I wonder if sometimes God doesn't do that for us. Just let us wear ourselves down. You know, we have so much to say when we're going through these times of stress. So we just go on, on, on until we get it all out. And we have so much, we, you know, well, if I do this, then that'll help. And if I do that, we do this, you run here and there. We call everybody and we, until we've used it all up. And then we end up in a spade. And I wonder if God just doesn't say, I'm going to let you exhaust your human abilities. And then I'm going to step in. Number three, it's a promise, not a formula. I think this is so critical to our understanding. This is the verse we all love so much. Those who hope in the Lord, your translation may say, wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. And at first glance, it looks like, well, you do this, then God does that, and it all works out, right? And so we slip into... What is very com for, uh, common for us, sort of a formula approach to working things out with God. So I do this, then God does that, and then it equals everything is great. You know, it all works out. Problem is, it's so hard to figure out how many parts human effort plus how many parts divine intervention equals that moment of breakthrough and victory that we want so badly. And so we tend to think, you know, we, we get busy and we do some stuff, and 
nothing happens. So it's like, well, maybe I didn't do the right things or I didn't do enough, so let me try this. And we do some more and still no results. And so then it's like, wow. You know, let's try again, and we go a different direction. We do some more until we use up everything that we have, and nothing has happened. So then we decide, well, then it must be God who's not holding up his end of the bargain. And we turn our back on him, and we say, it's useless. He doesn't, he doesn't see what's going on in my life. And if he does, he obviously doesn't care about me because nothing is happening. I've done everything that I can. It's not a formula it's a promise. God doesn't want us to understand him. He wants us to know him. There's a difference. He wants us to know him. Um, in younger years, and I think Joan just found out about this last service. I thought she knew all along. Uh, in younger years, I knew that she liked flowers and, and cards with handwritten notes in them. So uh, to make things go well in our marriage, uh, the problem is I get busy, you know. So what I would do, I would get a card, write a note in it. I'd go to the office, right, do this, uh, address it, put a stamp on it, put it in the, in the church mailbox. The mailman would come, pick it up, drive it two miles to our house, put it in our mailbox there. She'd open it up. Hey, there's a card from Steve. Pretty cool. She, and she let me know that she liked that. So problem is I get busy and I forget to do this, you know, and weeks and months go by and uh, Steve hasn't done anything to express affection through flowers and cards. So being the person I am, I scheduled it. I found out you can put it in your day timer, day timer back then, so it's electronic now, but you can figure this out like months in advance. You can, Flowers on this date, card on that date, and then I go to the, the card store, and I'd buy a, a bag full of cards, 20 cards, you know? And, uh, and when it popped up on my calendar, I'm good to go. Reach in my drawer, pick out a card, stamp it, boom, off. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to say I really did do that until I finally figured out there's not an exact number of days between the last card and the next one that meets her needs or satisfies the relationship. She just wants to know that I care. And, and sometimes I think we get in that frame of mind with God that there must be some precise way of figuring out what it is that God wants from us so that life is smooth and calm and blissful all the time, every day. That's not it. He wants us to know him. He wants us to hope in him. He wants us to trust him in the middle of every situation. And it's not about what's going on at the moment. It's about a deep, deep, intimate relationship we have with him. If you know, if you know the history behind this, it's a remarkable story. Isaiah is writing to the nation of Israel toward, in, this, in this passage toward the end of their captivity. Jeremiah had already said it's going to be 70 years. So they're in Babylon. They're living in, sa in slavery in that state. A long time has gone past. In the previous chapters, chapter 40 is kind of the watershed chapter of Isaiah. It uh, builds up to a point, and then it goes down. But the first 39 chapters, 
mostly deal with the long-term prophecies. For example, in chapter 7 and chapter 9, it's talking about a son, a child will be born to you, and you're going to name him Emmanuel. I mean, we're talking about, he was prophesying the birth of Jesus, which historically happened 700 years after uh, Isaiah wrote those words. So the long-term future, it was fulfilled exactly the way he wrote it, but it was a long time waiting. When you get to chapter 40, there is a shift, and he's not, he's no longer talking about the long-term future. He's talking about the immediate future. And the message of Isaiah 40 is this. This is the promise. Your time of suffering is over. Blessing is on its way. I'm going to restore you. There's nothing you can do to speed it up or slow it down. It's a promise. And God always does what he says he will do. It's a promise. And I think, I just have a sense that there's, there's something in this for us today that God is saying, and I know, like, remember the, the disciples, they were fishing all night long, throwing their net in, and they came up empty every single time. And in the morning, Jesus calls out to them from the shore, hey, what'd you catch? And they're going, oh, nothing. Throw your, throw your net in one more time. And it's like, why should we? But they did just because Jesus said so, and the catch was so enormous, the nets couldn't hold it. This, I think this is one of those moments where God is saying to some of you that have waited and waited and fished and fished and fished, do it one more time because I'm ready. The time is right. It's a promise. It's not a form. You say, well, I, I didn't do anything. It's a promise. Well, I did a lot of stuff and nothing happened. It's a promise. It's what he's saying to us now. Let's go to the fourth point and we'll wrap up with this. The purpose for waiting is transformation. Change is taking place deep within that this is all about. During the, during the days that were the darkest for me and the hardest to get through, one of the things that helped me was the image of the cocoon. The caterpillar going into the chrysalis and emerging as the butterfly. If you've ever watched those time-release, time-lapse uh, movies of a, a monarch butterfly coming out of the cocoon and finding its wings and flying off, it's, it's a moving experience when you realize what's going in there. I actually did some study on this, but the, the, the caterpillar would go in, and what happens is there's a chemical recomposition that takes place inside the cocoon over a period of time. And there's, a, there's a, a point there where if you were to take a, a knife and slice that cocoon open, all you would see is this gooey substance in there. There is no caterpillar. There is no butterfly. There's no structure. There's no form. There's nothing that looks like anything other than a gray, gooey substance. It's called metamorphosis, which is an awesome concept that we all love. But can I just tell you, when you're going through that process, it's not fun to be in the gooey stage. And what I mean by that is you, something inside of you knows I'm not the thing, the person that I used to be. Something has changed. I, I was that, and I'm no longer that, and I'm moving toward something else, I think, I believe, I hope, but I... Obviously, I'm not there, and I'm at this stage right now where I have no identity. I don't know who I am. I don't know for sure where I'm going. 
I just know that right now I feel lost in the middle of all of this. The process of transformation is taking place. It's out of our control. and nothing that we can do to speed it up or slow it down. God is at work, but transformation is happening. There's one other beautiful connection here that I want to I close with, and it's the thing about the eagle's wings, which is such a beautiful concept. We love that. But sometimes we don't realize when Isaiah spoke those words, it was reminiscent of something in the national history of Israel that immediately evoked an emotional response for them. It goes back to Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did. I mean, they, they had these scriptures. They were familiar with this verse. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I mean, did literally God fly them out of Egypt on the backs of eagles? No, we know that. But what he did was he opened up a dry space in the Red Sea that they, an entire nation, a couple million people, could walk across. And then he closed the waters back in on Pharaoh's armies to protect and spare them. And he took his own people safely on to the land of promise. That's what he called the eagle's wings. I did this for you. You were in a place you couldn't help yourselves. And they knew that because those people were saying to Moses, so you, you brought us out here to die like this? I mean, it was bad back there as slaves having to make bricks every day in the hot sun. But at least we knew that we would live another day. It's over for us now. We're trapped between two impossible situations. If we go that way, we're dead. If we go that way, we're dead. There's nothing that we can do for ourselves. And in the midst of that, God parted the seas. He brought the eagles, and he brought them to safety. It's such a beautiful picture of salvation. It's exactly where we are. We cannot save ourselves from the slavery to sin. We can't save ourselves from the results of sin, which ultimately is eternity separated from God. We're going to die in our sins. We're helpless. We're hopeless. But Jesus came and made a way. It's, it was him dying on the cross that took the penalty for our sins and opened up by his resurrection a way to newness of life. And he said, we can enter into that eternal kind of life and know that we're going to spend not only a better life here, but eternity, eternity with him in heaven. You say, well, is that a guarantee? No, it's a promise. And that's as close as you're going to get to a guarantee. God made a promise, and that's where faith enters in. Will you trust his promise? Will you put your hope in him? Will you wait expectantly for what God has said that he would do? That's what salvation is all about, embracing his promise, the truth that he's given to us. We're going to close with prayer, and I, I would love to have this opportunity to just offer you. I think that for some of you here, God kind of set you up from the first song in, in this place. Is he's, he's calling to you, and he's saying, listen, I know that what you're going, I do know your way. I do care about what's going on in your life. I'm providing a way. This morning, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Maybe you've never received Christ into your life before. This is a perfect opportunity to do that, to just say, I welcome Jesus in my, I give him my past, my present, and my future. I want him to make me into something that I never could be without, without his grace and his power at work in my life. I give myself to Christ, and I invite him in to become my Lord and my Savior. Would you bow your heads with me, please? 
and just before we have a closing prayer, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, on your life. Would you just slip up your hand and say, I want to, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. I receive him, my Savior. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hand right back down. Anyone else want to thank you? I see your hand. God's got something awesome for you. It's not, it's not my words that are going to do it. It's just God is going to show up, and he's going, to, he's going to show you that he is capable of doing it. Anyone else just want to join in this prayer this morning? Slip up your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Let's pray together. Lord, you're an awesome God. Thank you for the stories of all the great things that you've done in the past, but thank you that you're still around today. And thank you that you haven't exhausted your power and your ability to look into the lives of a single person and make a difference for them. And Lord, for those who are opening up their hearts to Christ this morning, I pray that the power of your spirit would enter in, Lord, and you would bring a resurrection inside, that you would bring life that they never experienced before. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We believe that he was raised again to life by the power of God. We believe that he's in heaven today. We believe that he knows us by name and personally. We believe that he's created a future for us. We believe he has the power to transform us from what we were to what he wants us to be and what we can be by his spirit. And we receive all of that in the mighty name of Jesus and we give him glory today.